I'd like you to turn to John chapter 9. Some of you old-timers may remember Bob Davenport. For three years, he was an All-American fullback on the UCLA football team. I was just a teenager in those days. And also at that time, every Monday night, there was a, a group of Christian boys we met in a man's home, and he opened his home up. And uh, one night, he said, in two weeks, we're going to have a special guest with us, Bob Davenport. Boy, did I perk up at that. Uh, a football player coming to meet with us. And it just seemed that the time dragged before that moment came. What an exciting thing it was to come in, walk in the room, and there he was. I was surprised at how short he was. He was wearing glasses. He didn't look anything like an all-American fullback. But I was excited because he was going to give his testimony. He was going to share his Christian faith. And that's something exciting when we hear somebody uh, that was well-known, a sports figure, uh, maybe a, a celebrity on television, whoever it might be, that we know is one who trusts in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, and they want to share their testimony. So what do we mean by giving a testimony? Well, a testimony is a firsthand authentication of something that's factual, uh, you're walking down the streets of Medford, and suddenly you hear the squeal of tires. You turn around, and two cars crash into one another. The officer who is on charge comes to you and says, did you see that? Yes, and you give your testimony. You give your witness. You say, this is what I saw. This is what I heard. You were an eyewitness giving that testimony. Or you may go to a musical concert of some sort, and afterwards somebody learns about that and says, tell me about it. And so you describe how many people were there, what the ambiance was, what the music was, the whole experience. Why? Because you were there, the other person was not. And so you share your testimony about that. This idea of giving testimonies has become associated with many in our Christian churches. And let's face it, we perk up when we hear somebody famous. We also perk up when we're talking with somebody and they share their testimony about a wonderful conversion experience that they have had. So we want to think a little bit this morning about giving a testimony. If you're a believer here this morning, what should your testimony be? What, what would you say? I think we can learn something from John chapter 9 about this man uh, who was born blind and wonderfully healed by Jesus. More space is given to this man than any other central character in, in John's writing here in the Gospel of John. John clearly is interested in that. I think one of the reasons that he focuses on it is because one of the themes of the Gospel of John is light and darkness. Even the beginning of the book starts out in verses 4 and 5 of chapter 1. In him, the Word, Jesus Christ, in him was life and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness. The darkness has not overcome it. And then shortly after that well-known John 3.16 verse, if you read on a little further, starting at verse 19 of John chapter 3, and this is the judgment that light has come into the world. And people love the darkness rather than the light. Why was that? Because their works were evil. 
For everyone who does wicked things hates the light, does not come to the light. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. In the preceding chapter here, John 8, 12, we have Jesus saying, I am the light of the world. So this is a, something very much on John's mind. So I think that's the reason that he deals with this character that we're going to look at for a little bit this morning. It's a very long chapter, but don't worry, even though I have extra time, I don't think I can get through all 41 verses, so I'm not going to bother with doing that. We'll look pri- primarily at one particular verse and one particular phrase in that particular verse. But to build up to it, we need to look at some of the uh, opening verses. This is one of the most fascinating narratives in the Bible. It's filled with remarkable statements, and there's even an element of humor, I think, if you were to read this whole chapter together. Let me first of all give a brief summary of these opening verses. Verse 1, as he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. It's easy, isn't it, to become calloused to needy people. But Jesus often focused in on needy people. And we read in that first verse that he saw a particular man blind from birth. Well, the disciples also saw him. Verse 2, his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Now, that question was in line with the theology of the day, which reasoned that some particular sin had to be the reason why this person is blind or deaf or lame or going through a difficult time. There had to be some reason for the reason that he is experiencing this malady. Notice that in verse 12, they, they were concerned about that question and not about the man himself. Well, Jesus immediately clarifies the matter in verse 3. Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. That's the reason. And then Jesus goes on and sets forth his own work. Verses 4 and 5. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. So again, he repeats that phrase, that tremendous claim that Jesus makes, one of the several I am's that Jesus utters that is recorded in the, in the Word of God. Well, in verses 6 and 7 comes a wonderful miracle. In the Old Testament, no human being ever brought about the healing of blindness and giving sight. Even the apostles, the fellow workers of Jesus, his followers did not do that. But these kinds of miracles, giving sight to the blind, are recorded of Jesus more than some of his other healings, significant evidence of his Messiahship there. But now for our purposes this morning, giving a testimony, beginning at verse 8, things get very interesting. We want to notice the reactions of people to this amazing miracle. Here's a man born from blind, now he can see. What are the reactions? Well, the first reactions are from the neighbors and acquaintances, verses 8 through 12. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, It is he. Others said, No, but he's like him. He kept saying, I am the man. So they said to him, Then how were your eyes open? He answered, 
The man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go into Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. He's harkening back there to verses 6 and 7, which I meant to call your attention to earlier. So he repeats that great miracle and what Jesus did in healing him. Then verse 12, they said to him, where is he? He said, I do not know. First of all, notice this man didn't try to capitalize on his fame. He didn't try to manufacture a few exaggerated details about it. No, he simply told the truth. I am the man. A man called Jesus, asked me to do something, and I went and did it. And as a result of that, I can see. Well, where is he? I don't know where he is. Apparently, wherever this took place, we're not sure of that. Jesus, when he went, left him, went to the pool of Siloam. He either was still there by that pool, or Jesus had gone elsewhere. So they looked around. They didn't see Jesus. Who, who did this? The man called Jesus did that. Well, the man is probably wondering why all these questions here He's puzzled that they aren't celebrating with him and saying, this is wonderful news. You can see. How great is that? But instead, they're, they're kind of staring at him, and they're suspicious, and they're frowning. In a word, they're stumped. So what would they do? What did you do when you were stumped? You went to the religious leaders of the nation, the Pharisees in particular. So how do they react? Look at verses 13 through 17. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. He said to them, he put mud on my eyes and I washed and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was division among them. So they said again to the blind man, What do you say about him since he has opened your eyes? He said, He is a prophet. Again, like the neighbors and the acquaintances, no concern for the man. No rejoicing with this man that now could see. Nothing like that. Confusion. Division. Some said one thing, some said another. Well, he seems like he's the man. I'm not sure he is. What's this all about? So what are they going to do? Well, they're going to pass it off to somebody else. The parents. Verses 18 through 23. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight. Isn't that amazing? Until they called the parents of the man who received his sight. And they asked him, them, is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, we know that this is our son that he was born blind. But how he now sees, we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him, he's of age, he will speak for himself. And then John, as it were, a little parenthesis here, puts these words in. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be the Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he is of age, ask him. 
Another effort for the Pharisees to try to shake this man, they, they reproach his parents. A desperate thing to do here. Maybe we can find out some information from them. And they answer the way we would expect they would do. Uh, Is this your son? How can he now see? And they say, sure, we know he's our son. And we know very much that he was born blind. We've been dealing with this thing for years. We know that. But don't ask us how this happened. We can't tell you. Ask him. He's old enough. Go to him. So back to the Pharisees, it comes in verse 24. So for the second time they called the man who had been blind and said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man, I'm talking about Jesus, this man is a sinner. So there they are, still in disbelief, still trying to trick this blind man trying to put words in his mouth because they despise Jesus so much. And that brings us to the particular verse and a particular phrase in that verse that I want us especially to think about this morning. Verse 25, the testimony of the healed blind man. He answered, as the blind man now, who is now can see, he's answering the Pharisees, verse 25. Whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. Look at that last phrase. Once I was blind, but now I can see, especially that phrase in verse 25, one thing I do know. First of all, this man had an assurance, not insurance, assurance, A-S-S-U-R-A-N-C-E, a confidence, an assurance. I know. His confidence was focused on one undeniable fact, as far as he was concerned, once I was blind, now I can see. There were some things that he did not know. Surely that day he didn't know that Jesus was going to come and focus on him and and put mud on his eyelids and touch him and then heal him and give him this wonderful gift of sight. He didn't know that. He didn't know exactly who this man was. He had picked up the fact his name was Jesus. So he knew that. And at the end of verse 17, he ever knew something about the fact that he was a prophet of some kind. He knew that. But exactly who Jesus was, he still didn't know. And to the question in verse 12, well, where is he? He said, I don't know. I don't know about these things, but I'll tell you one thing I do know. Once I was blind, now I can see. In effect, his response to the Pharisees was, 
I don't know in the way you say you know. You just got fame saying that you know the man's a sinner. I, don't, I can't deal with that. But you are learned men, supposedly with all the answers. But all I know is that now I can see. So how does this relate to you who are here this morning, who are Christians, who are believers in Jesus Christ, and uh, you're thinking about, how do I give my testimony? I, I'm not very well versed in speaking to people, kind of shy. You know, I, what, what can I do? You focus on what you know. There are many things about the Bible that you may know. I've been to seminary. I've been a minister for many, many years. And there are many things in this book I don't know. There are many theological things, doctrines of the Scriptures that I don't fully understand. And if I, as an ordained minister, don't, you're sitting there thinking, well, how am I supposed to know all this? And perhaps that bothers you in the matter of giving a testimony. You don't know enough. But if you are a believer, you do know that your eyes have been opened to the gospel truth that Jesus died for sinners, that he was raised again from the dead, He's ascended into heaven. He's coming again someday. And you believe that and you know it to be true. You know you have passed from spiritual death to spiritual life. How? Because your blinded spiritual eyes have been opened. And there are some things in the Word of God you do understand. And praise God, they are a part of who you are. And you cling to those. And you are assured of those things. Can a person have come to fellowship of God's Son and not know that? Christians are people who know. Job himself, we wouldn't say was a Christian because he lived long before Christ, before the name caught on, but he was a believer and he said, I know that my Redeemer lives. Paul says in Romans 8, 28, speaking on behalf of all believers, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love the Lord, to those who are called according to his purpose. Lady, he writes, I know whom I have believed, and I'm persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day that's to come. I know that. John writes in 1 John 3, we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Later in that first John, we know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. We feel comfortable with other fellow believers. That's who we are most comfortable with, even though we have to be out in the world and associate with unbelievers. Nevertheless, we know that the fellowship of God's people is the most important. Your faith is based on the certainties and realities of the Word of God, accompanied by the work of the Holy Spirit who illuminates those and helps you understand them through the, the, your ministers, through uh, other Bible teachers and so on, through literature you read, through even reading the Bible by yourself. Suddenly a new truth will pop out at you. you say, I, I didn't think about that that way. You say, you know, I know that. I understand that. And so what you know is that Jesus Christ is your Savior and your Lord. By the, His Spirit, He dwells in your hearts. He ministers to you through the Word of God. He lives today. 
And one day he's coming again. You know that. You're assured of it. You should be assured of it. If nothing else, you could hold on to that. So this man had an assurance, confidence. What did he know? Once I was blind, now I can see. Secondly, he had a personal assurance. Now, this is very closely related to what we just talked about. But let me share something on that idea. One thing I know. One thing I know. This testimony was his. He didn't draw it from a pool of common experience. He didn't take a poll. He didn't say, you know, I'd like to uh, say something about my blindness here and how this all happened. Uh, why don't you, what, what information can you give me? Uh, what did you see? Okay, well, that, all right. What, what about you? And taking notes on this. Didn't need to do that. Now, no two experiences are exactly alike. So, some person gives a testimony here, another person will give a different testimony. Even though they may have grown up in the same circumstances, and be very much alike in many things. Even in the Gospel of John, in, in chapter, or not John, but in Mark, he deals with the blind Bartimaeus. That's an entirely different experience than what this man had. So what the blind man is doing here in John chapter 9 is saying something like this. Look at me. I myself, the very person, not someone a thousand miles away, not someone even one mile away. It's me talking. Look at me. I know. Imagine if he had tried to describe the experience of someone else. If someone had said, how did this happen? And he said, well, enough about me. You don't want to talk about me. How about him over there? Of course not. What if he tried to say something he knew would be favorable to the Pharisees? When they started asking me these questions, he'd start thinking to himself, let's see now, how am I going to answer that question? I don't want to upset them. So maybe I better try to figure out something clever that I can answer. But he never backed down, did he? He well remembered those long days of darkness, of begging, of groping, of loneliness, of uncertainty, of fear, of hopelessness. That had been ingrained into who he was, and then suddenly he could see. End of verse 7. He went and washed and came back seeing. End of verse 11. The man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes. He said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. End of verse 15. He put mud on my eyes. I washed and I see. Jump down to the end of verse 30. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. And then, of course, here in verse 25. One thing I know, once I was blind... Now I can see. I can see, he says to these Pharisees. Can't you see that I can see? Look, 
I, I can see. I can see. You're over here. You're over here. I can see this over here. I can see that rock over there. I see that bush. I see those trees. Can't you see that I can see? I've been healed. It's part of who he was now. That raises an interesting question. Why couldn't they see? We're looking at this now some 2,000 years later, and we're, we know it. many of you have seen this passage before, and uh, we understand it. We, we, can, we scratch our heads and say, why couldn't these guys see it? Well, if you go down to the end of the chapter, those last verses begin at verse 39. Jesus said, for judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, are, are we also blind? Jesus said to them, if you are blind, you would have no guilt, but now that you see, say we see, your guilt remains. Without getting into all that meaning of those verses, Jesus is in effect challenging these men, confronting them with their own hard-heartedness that uh, they simply refused in their own simple hearts to see it. And that's true today. People who are unbelievers who come in contact with the gospel message, and you've probably dealt with these people before, you may have, have them in your own family. And you explain it to them, you have them look at it, and they might show interest in it, but they just don't respond to it. They just don't understand it. They just don't see it. That's the curse of the sin upon the human heart. That's what sin has done to humanity in their blindness. So, again, giving a testimony, what does this mean for you? Your testimony is your testimony. It's not mine. I have a different one. You have a different one than that person over there. Yours is different than this one over here. It's your personal assurance that you need to share. This is what I know. What I know. Remember our de definition of a testimony. Authentication of certain facts. A witness to something that happened, something you saw, something you heard. It has to do with you. Your testimony. So you ask yourself, all right, what has Christ done for me? What do I know about him? Of what am I assured? And that's your testimony when the opportunity arises. What you know about Jesus. One of our ministers in our denomination who's gone to be with the Lord wrote an article many years ago, and he had this to say. Witnessing, which means giving a testimony, witnessing is very simply telling someone what we know to be true. It is not the using of clever, memorized arguments with the aim of persuading a person to become a Christian. In a law court, a witness does not try to argue with the judge or present clever, carefully memorized statements to try to persuade him to take a certain course of action. He simply tells the judge what he personally knows to be true. So this man in our text this morning had an assurance of what he knew 
it was a personal assurance. Part of who he was and his relationship at that time to his miracle healing and to Jesus, of course, himself. We see one other thing in this little phrase. He had a simple personal assurance. One thing I know. Previously, we noted several things he did not know. They asked me questions, I don't know. Well, I can't answer that question. I don't know about that. But let me tell you one thing I do know. Here in verse 25, he sticks to one basic fact he knew very well, producing this classic statement here in verse 25 with great conviction. There's nothing deeply profound about what he said, is there? Nothing complex about it. One thing I know, once I was blind, now I can see. Yet it kept him getting, from getting sidetracked into a useless argument. It enabled him to rebuke fearlessly the unbelieving Pharisees. He was a, a forerunner of Peter and John in Acts chapter 4, verse 20, who said, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. There is no way that the unbelieving uh, opposition to Peter and John of that day were going to change their minds because they had seen something and heard something regarding Jesus, and they were clinging to that assurance fully and completely. Later, John would write in 1 John chapter 1, verse 3, That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you. Simple to the point. Now, I want you to imagine for a moment, and maybe for some of you it won't take too much imagination because it's very clear in your minds. You have, somewhere along the line, entered into a discussion with a professing atheist or a skeptic, or an agnostic, someone of that nature, or maybe even an obnoxious family member. And you talk with them, yeah, I don't want to hear that anymore. And they start bringing out all these arguments. Where did King get his wife? You know, those kinds of things. They throw all this information out at you, and pretty soon you find, well, I better step back. What can I say to that? How can I possibly argue with that? I don't have all my points, and I think I know two or three things, but I probably need ten things to ask. And he's asked me this question. I don't know how to deal with that. So I better just be quiet. There's no way I can give a testimony. Someone has said that an ounce of testimony is worth a pound of propaganda. <laughs> and you should be able to say, look, you've raised some good points. You raise some good, ask some good questions. I don't think I'm in a position to answer them, at least not right now. Maybe you give me a little time. We can get together next week sometime. I'll be glad to talk with you about it. Uh, maybe I have to take you to my minister or an elder or somebody, and they can talk to you. Um, uh, I, I don't think I, nothing I can do. But one thing I do know, once I was blind, now I can see. Jesus has touched my life. He's changed me. I now see things in the Word of God that I didn't see before. And my friend, or dear Uncle Joe, 
wherever it might be. My hope and prayer is that you would be able to have your eyes open to see what I see. Very simple. Right to the point. Now, an interesting thing here is at this point in the narrative, this man is not yet converted. He's on his way. The Spirit is working in his heart. But he's not quite there fully yet. That won't occur until you get down to verse 35. And in verse 35 of John chapter 9, we read, Jesus heard that they had cast him out, cast him out of the synagogue and so on. And having found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? I would see Jesus now confronting this man and saying, you understand you have sight, physical sight. Do you now have spiritual sight to understand who I am as the Son of Man? He answered, and who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? See, he's still not quite all the way there yet. Jesus said to him, you have seen him, and as he was speaking to you. I suppose Jesus had much more to say than just that. John only records that much. But after this little conversation, look at verse 38. He said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. One thing I know. Tremendous growth in this man. If you go back to verse 7, the end of verse 7, he went and washed in, in reaction to Christ, in response to Christ's directions. He came to see. Then down in verses 11 and 12, he calls him the man Jesus. He now is passing on some more information here. He's growing in that knowledge. So I went and washed. I received my sight. And then at the end of verse 17, he's a prophet. You see, the, the knowledge is growing here as he makes his pilgrimage toward his conversion. Then, of course, what we've been looking at here in verse 25, and then look at verse 27 also. He, his response to them is, I have told you already, you would not listen. Why do you not want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? This guy's kind of having fun with it. Why are you asking me these questions? Do you want to become one of his disciples too? Is that why you're asking? Are you showing a genuine interest in this? So he's kind of throwing it right back at them there. He's come a long way in a short amount of time. And then especially down in verse 30, the man answers these Pharisees. He says, why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. Well, they didn't like that, and they answered him, verse 34, You were born in utter sin, and would you teach us? And they cast him out. Probably a, some kind of a, church, a synagogue discipline sort of thing. And so as John writes these words, I think he does so with some irony, some sarcasm here. He seems really to be enjoying himself as he describes this narrative. Here is an uneducated, formerly blind man who knows more about God and Jesus than the religious leaders of Israel. 
someone has said, thankfully, this man got his mouth open and not just his eyes. So how does this relate to you giving a testimony? It's not the time of your conversion, not the place where it happened, not the method, not the process, which is of supreme importance. The most important thing is the fact that a change has taken place in your life. That although you were born with the curse of Adam's sin upon your hearts and your nature, you know now that you are not spiritually blind, but able to understand and know God's grace by faith. You know what Jesus Christ has done for you and continues to do. To put it more the vernacular, I ain't what I ought to be. I ain't what I'm going to be. But I ain't what I was. Now, this is not to discount or ignore building on your personal, simple personal assurance testimony. Perhaps you need to go home and, and write your testimony out a little bit. Learn a, a gospel outline. God, sin, Christ, faith, something simple like that. And, of course, there's no uh, substitution for just learning the Bible better and what it says and what it teaches. One's faith needs to be grounded upon and growing in the infallible truth of the Scriptures. You need to build on your testimony. But you don't need all that information to be able to give a simple, personal assurance testimony as did this man. Now there's one more point I need to make because some of you out here probably can give very exciting testimonies. If I were to have you come up here right now, you'd say, well, it happened when I was in the Army, or it happened when I was a teenager, or I was in my 50s before I came to know the Lord. And we would be very interested in what led to that, who, who came into your life, what the circumstances were. Maybe some of you went through a great tragedy, a great sorrow, and the Lord used that to awaken your heart up to the truth of Jesus. But what about those of you here today who um, don't have that kind of exciting testimony? What about those of us, like myself, who grew up in a Christian home? And you can't even maybe remember any particular time when you were converted. And maybe you can think of something in particular when you're a little child or whatever. But you're not completely sure of the date and time. Yet you know the Lord. But you think to yourself, what possible testimony can I give? Let me share with you these words from Dr. Peter Eldersveld. Dr. Ellisville was for many, many years the radio voice of a program called the Back to God Hour, sponsored by the Christian Reformed Church. He was giving a message on the Philippian jailer in Acts 16. What must I do to be saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved and your household. Dr. Ellisville wrote this or said this. There are friends of mine who often opened a discussion by saying to me, would you like to hear my personal testimony? And of course, I always tell them I certainly would. And they tell me some wonderful stories of God's grace and how they were rescued spectacularly and dramatically out of a life of sin 
maybe in the middle of their years or maybe after a wasted youth. But you know, there's always one thing about it that bothers me. I get the uncomfortable feeling that somehow they think that I'm kind of a second-rate Christian because I can't tell a story like that. I never had that kind of experience. And yet I don't feel like a second-rate Christian. That's why I want to tell my personal testimony to them. It goes like this. I can put it in one sentence. I have never known a day in all my life when I was not aware of God and His love for me. Now, don't misunderstand. That doesn't mean I haven't been a great sinner. I have been as great as any and worse than many. I won't go into that. But I just want you to know that no matter how great the sins, there has never been a night in my life when I could not be aware that God forgives sinners like me. My parents brought me up that way from the very earliest moments of my life. They brought me up to believe God's promise about the cost of the blood of His Son. Now, maybe to you that isn't a spectacular story, but I think it is the most spectacular thing in all the world. Not that a man in the middle of his years could suddenly come to this discovery, but that a man conceived and born in sin from the moment he draws his first breath can be aware of the gospel and have Christian parents who bring him to church. Do you know anything better than that? I wouldn't change places with the Philippian jailer who had to come to that later in his life. I'd rather have been one of his children. I say that is something spectacular. So you see, whatever your conversion experience has been, growing up in the church or conversion experience later in your life, you have a testimony to give. And if you're sitting out here this morning and uh, you're thinking to yourself, I don't know Jesus. I don't know the Lord that way. I don't have that assurance. And you need to turn to him. You can do that in your own heart. Talk with somebody here in the church. Uh, get the information you need and turn to him. But if you have, you can give your testimony as did that blind man long ago who said, one thing I know. Once I was blind, but now I can see.